Union County was rocked by the news of two missing children back in 1994. The story would continue to shock the state of South Carolina and the rest of the country when it was announced that their own mother was being arrested for their murder. Susan Smith became infamous as her story continued to fall apart. She rolled her car into John D. Long Lake with her two children strapped inside, and according to authorities, this was a result of an extramarital affair with a man who didn't want children. My name is Blake Mosley, and this is South Carolina Spook Show. Stay tuned. October of 1994, Susan Lee Smith of South Carolina strapped her boys into her car, drove it straight into John D. Long Lake, and then tried to blame it all on a black man. Starting at a very early age, Susan Smith suffered unspeakable tragedy. Her father killed himself when he was just Her father killed himself when she was just 6 years old, and she tried to follow suit at age 13. After her mother remarried, Smith's new stepfather began to molest her. Plagued by lifelong trauma, she married David Smith at 19 to start a family of her own. But in 1994, she destroyed her own family when she murdered her children. David and Susan Smith had a very rocky relationship plagued by mutual infidelity. Meanwhile, David had no idea that she suffered from depression and dependent personality disorder. He also didn't know that his wife had been dumped by a wealthy South Carolina man because he didn't want kids. This is what prompted Susan Smith to drown her own children. One day in October of 1994, Susan Smith's kids, three-year-old Michael and 14-month-old Alexander, joined her for a drive. But then she purposefully rolled her car into John D. Long Lake in Union County, South Carolina, and then left them to die. What's more, She told police that a black man had carjacked her with the children inside. But eventually, her lies came crashing down, and the horrible truth about what happened to Susan Smith's children was revealed. Born on September 26, 1971 in Union County, South Carolina, Susan Lee Vaughn was the youngest of three children and the only girl. Tragedy struck in 1977 when her father, Harry Ray, committed suicide. Susan navigated that grief by keeping his coin collection and an audio recording of her father's voice, but then tried to kill herself at 13. When her mother Linda married Beverly C. Russell Jr., it seemed the family's luck was looking up. A divorced father of three, Russell was a thriving stockbroker and a member of both South Carolina's Republican community and the Christian Coalition. At home, however, he was molesting his 15-year-old stepdaughter. Susan told her high school guidance counselor and her mother about the abuse in 1987 when she was 16 years old. Linda confronted her husband about it. He swore to never do it again and agreed to family therapy, but then kept abusing Susan, 
who revealed as much in February of 1988. Later that year, she attempted suicide yet again. Working part-time at a Winn-Dixie supermarket, Susan was overwhelmed after an older, married co-worker broke off an affair with her and swallowed an overdose of aspirin in an attempt at self-harm. Doctors diagnosed her with an adjustment disorder and blamed her behavior on stress. In 1989, Susan Vaughn told her psychiatrist that her quote-unquote affair with her stepfather was consensual. Susan said that she wasn't happy about her mother receiving all the male attention. She would ultimately find a partner in David Smith, a fellow Winn-Dixie supermarket worker who was raised as a Jehovah's Witness by very strict parents. They got married after only about a year of dating. The 19-year-old bride was already two months pregnant with her first son, Michael, while her 20-year-old groom lost a brother to Crohn's disease and had his father attempt suicide within a year. They both came from families tormented by tragedy, but their own family would prove to be an unhappy one as well. Almost as soon as they were wed, the Smiths would begin relentlessly arguing and cheating on each other. Susan Smith's most intense extramarital affair was with a newfound employee at Conso Products in 1993. She began sleeping with her boss's son, Tom Finley, in January of 1994, but the rich, handsome 27-year-old broke things off with her in October, writing Smith a letter clarifying he wasn't ready for a relationship involving kids. On October 25th, they had a particularly upsetting conversation. Finley recalled Smith being, quote, upset because David knew, or so she thought, some information that he was going to make public that upset her, unquote. It's unclear just what this was, while it would later be revealed that Smith had continued having sexual relations with her former stepfather. Then, after insulting Finley by claiming she slept with his father, he asked her to leave. Three hours later, she decided that if Finley didn't want kids, she was going to get her children out of the picture. Just three hours later, Susan Smith put her kids in her 1990 Mazda Protégé and set out for a drive. As she approached John D. Long Lake, she rolled her car straight into the water, then fled the scene and left her two kids to drown. She then reported her car stolen and her children missing, even pretending that a black man had carjacked her and abducted her sons. For nine days, she went on television pleading tearfully for their safe return. But on November 3rd, with police suspicious of her flimsy story, Smith finally relented and confessed about what she had done. Her trial began soon after. Smith's defense attorney, David Bruck, argued that her actions were rooted in mental illness, spurred by the suicide of her father, sexual abuse, and emotional rejections. Lead prosecutor Thomas Pope painted a very different picture. He claimed that Smith was a murderous manipulator who killed her children to regain Finley's affections. Unconvinced by Smith's defense, the jury deliberated for two and a half hours on July 22, 1995, and quickly found her guilty. Convicted of two counts of first-degree murder, Susan Smith was sentenced to life in prison. Today, Susan Smith is incarcerated at Leith Correctional Institution in Greenwood, South Carolina. Her behavior behind bars has only made her more infamous, as she's been caught smoking marijuana and sleeping with a correctional officer. 
As for the crimes that put her in prison in the first place, she broke her decades-long silence in 2015 via a letter to South Carolina's The State. Quote, It has been hard to listen to lie after lie and not be able to defend myself, the letter read. It's frustrating to say the least. The thing that hurts me the most is that people think that I hurt my children in order to be with a man. That is so far from the truth. There was no motive as it was not even a planned event. I was not in my right mind. End quote. Even now, Susan Smith maintains that it was only a temporary, albeit violent, break from her normal mental state that caused her to harm her own children. Though the court of public opinion has largely sided with the prosecution, the state will have to actually consider Smith's pleas in 2024 when she'll be eligible for parole. Coming up next on South Carolina Spook Show. If you tuned in for my Halloween mini-sode countdown, you'll remember some urban legends like the Third Eye Man, the Boo Hag, and even way back to my first episode on the Lee County Lizard Man. But the list continues to grow for urban legends around the state of South Carolina. More on that next. Stay tuned. Life isn't always easy. In fact, we all battle depression during life's ups and downs. Music has always been the thing that we can rely on to get us through the tough times we all face. The podcast, When Words Fail, Music Speaks, with host James and Blake, discusses the healing power of music. They interview bands, break down genres, review band biographies, and a lot more. On When Words Fail, Music Speaks, enjoy interviews and lively discussions about musicians and songs you know and love. This is a podcast any music lover will enjoy. Add When Words Fail, Music Speaks to your podcast playlist right now. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and wherever you listen to podcasts. We know what we like to hear about our state, about the place that we dwell, the place we let our children call home. However, nothing is all sunshine and rainbows. There is an underbelly to everything, a place where the darkness lives, a place where the sunshine never reaches. This is the place that births the strange, unusual, and sometimes the most terrifying stories that you will ever hear, or the ones that you never want to hear. These are the stories that become a South Carolina urban legend, the ones that we tell each other around campfires, and the ones that children tell other children in their rooms, during sleepovers, using flashlights. Are they real? We like to think that all the tales of creepy things in South Carolina are based on some fact, whether it is a huge vein of truth or a sliver of breath. But it's up to you to decide what you believe in. Which of these South Carolina urban legends do you believe? And which do you not know about? This list should give you great new tales to tell your friends. The Lizard Man Described as being taller than the average man, the Lizard Man is said to be muscular, covered with dark hair and scaly lizard-like skin on its face, hands, and feet. It is said that this haunting South Carolina cryptid has three fingers on each hand and three toes on each foot. The strength of this beast has been reported to be strong enough to rip a car to shreds. There have been quite a few reported sightings of this creature around South Carolina. The first sighting was reported on June 29, 1988, by Christopher Davis. His report is as follows. Quote, I looked back and I saw something running across the field towards me. It was about 25 yards away and I saw red eyes glowing. I ran into the car and as I locked it, the thing grabbed the door handle. I could see him from the neck down. 
three big fingers, long black nails, and green, rough skin. It was strong, and it was angry. I looked in my mirror and saw a blur of green just running. I could see his toes, and then he jumped on the roof of my car. I thought I heard a grunt, and then I could see his fingers through the windshield, where they curled around the roof. I sped up and swerved to shake the creature off." Other reports have been made as well, including the mauling of multiple cars that have been documented as looking as though they had been chewed up by something. Crybaby Bridge Everyone knows the legend of Crybaby Bridge. Some know the one in Anderson, which is by far the most famous one in South Carolina, and many others know of another one. In fact, there are quite a few in South Carolina and nationwide. The one we're addressing today is the one in Anderson. This particular bridge has quite an illustrious history. It was originally built in Virginia in 1919, brought to Charleston, and then in 1952, it was moved to its current position in Anderson. There are a few different ways that this story goes, but the most popular is that there was an accident late one night. A mother lost her baby to the flow of the river, and it is said that you can go on this bridge late at night and you can hear the crying of a baby if you're lucky, or unlucky, depending on how you look at it. You may even see the mother walking up and down the bridge, searching for the child that she lost so long ago. The Third Eye Man What on earth is lurking in the catacombs beneath the University of South Carolina? He was first seen in 1949 by two USC students. A man all dressed in silver was seen opening a manhole and disappearing into the underground. One of the students was a newspaper reporter and wrote about this experience. Six months later, a police officer was making his rounds around campus when he came upon some mutilated chickens. He went to his car to report the incident, and on his return, he reportedly saw a strange figure all dressed in silver. The policeman reported that when the man turned, he saw an odd-colored face, and then in the middle of his forehead was a third eye. The policeman ran from the scene to request backup, but when backup arrived, there was no third-eye man to be seen. However, it didn't stop the policeman from telling the story for the rest of his life. The next time the third-eye man was seen, it was in the late 60s. There are catacombs or tunnels beneath the university, and a few fraternity guys thought that it would be a great place to take their pledges. Upon rounding the first corner, they reported that they saw a crippled old man all dressed in silver. He allegedly swung at them with a pipe and knocked one of them down. The young man suffered minor scrapes and bruises along with shock, but nothing life-threatening. A manhunt was started that night, but nothing and no one was ever found. The entrance to the tunnels have been sealed, and so far, there have been no other reported sightings of the Third Eye Man. The Boo Hag According to Gullah legend, there's a creature that rides the night looking for someone that they think are good candidates to steal energy from. No, this is not a vampire. This is a creature that reportedly gains energy from humans' breath by riding their victims. It is said that they have no skin, which makes them red in appearance. In order for them to be less noticeable, they will steal a victim's skin and use it for as long as possible. When they find someone that they wish to use, they will remove their skin. Then they get on top of the victim's chest, hold the face close to the person, and inhale the person's energy from their breath. It is said that this will induce a sleep in the human, and they may awake tired. If, however, they fight the boohag, the boohag will then take their skin to use. If you're wondering how you could keep one out of your bed, put a broom beside the bed before you lie down for the night. 
The boo hag will become so obsessed with counting the straws and the broom that they will not have time to take your energy before the sun comes up. The Legend of Julia Laguerre Picture it, Edisto Island, mid-1800s. The story has been told time and time again. It's very possible that you may have heard of it, or at least some part of it already. Julia Laguerre came to visit some family. It is said that she became terribly ill with a fever and eventually slipped into a coma. Her family then called the doctor, who pronounced her dead. Much to the dismay and sorrow of her family, they interred her in the family mausoleum. Life went on, and 15 years later, they had to open the mausoleum again to place yet another family member. That's when they discovered that Julia's skeleton was at the door instead of laid to rest where they had left her. It seems that she had not been dead at all, but in a coma so deep that the physician could not detect a heartbeat or her breathing. They put the girl's remains back where they were supposed to be and sealed and locked the door once again. But that's not where the story ends. It seems that the door will never be shut. No matter how many times they've locked it, it's been opened. They say now that there is no door. Her spirit can now rest because she knows that no one else will be locked inside of the mausoleum. These South Carolina urban legends can be fun to tell, especially around a campfire while roasting marshmallows or inside with the lights down low. But the question remains, how much of it is true and how much of it is the imagination of a scared individual? We may never know. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Uh, this episode was actually a suggestion by Lindley Hodge. So thank you, Lindley, for that suggestion. I knew about the story of Susan Smith, but I didn't know all the details. And really, it's just a tragic story. Uh, it should have never happened, and it's really sickening. And honestly, the fact that she's eligible for parole in about a year or so is uh, pretty frightening. So, uh, But more on that later. I guess we'll do an update uh, whenever we know more. So. Um, if you don't mind, share this episode with someone that enjoys true crime and paranormal stories, especially if they live in the state of South Carolina or are from South Carolina. Uh, I think they would really enjoy it, and uh, I would really appreciate if you if you shared that for me. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and much more. And wherever you can, please leave me a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. Just like Kim Linville uh, on Facebook left me a review. She said, I just discovered this podcast on Spotify. Excellent. I love some spooky tales without all the excessive blood and gore, and Blake Mosley delivers the stories with just enough information. I highly recommend this podcast for anyone who likes a little spine tingling laced with South Carolina's darker historical facts. Blake is a great orator of these stories. Thank you so much, Kim. I really appreciate your review. Uh, and if you want to leave me a review on any podcast platform or social media site that you can, it is very much appreciated. You have no idea. You can follow the show on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram. It's at South Carolina Spook Show. I'm also on Twitter. It's at SC Spook Show. Um, and if you want to send me some of your own personal stories or some episode suggestions, you can email me at scspookshow at gmail.com or shoot me a message on any of those social media sites that I mentioned before. If you don't mind, check out my other podcast. It's called When Words Fail, Music Speaks. I do that with my buddy James Cox. It's all about music and mental health. We have a lot of fun doing it, a lot of interviews, a lot of breakdowns on genres and bands and things like that. And I, I think you'll really enjoy it, uh, especially if you're a music lover. The story of Susan Smith, the woman who drowned her children in a lake, was written by Marco Magaratov for AllThat'sInteresting.com. And These Nine Urban Legends of South Carolina Are Strange, Disturbing, and Terrifying was written by Gwen Tennille 
for onlyinyourstate.com. All articles read on South Carolina Spook Show are the property of their respective authors, and it is used for purposes of commentary and review only. No copyright infringement is intended. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your creator and host, Blake Mosley, and this is South Carolina Spook Show. Y'all stay spooky.